0: Hey, everybody. It's Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show. And before we get to this next video, I just wanted to tell you that if you are looking for a way to make some money to get get yourself into the green, get out of the red, hook up with me. It's very, very simple. Just go to attaboy.com, A-T-A-B-O-Y.com, and I will show you how to make some money with a low investment. And it's something I'm doing myself. It's not something I'm just hawking. So, do it today hyperfund is the is the place and uh again attaboy.com uh you can watch a little video that i've put together for you You can watch some other videos there and you can learn for yourself how to get yourself some cash so let's do it okay all right here's the video you actually came to see
1: What is up, everybody? Welcome into Talk To Me, episode 277, here on the CMS Podcast Network. That is CMSPN.com. Make sure to head over there to check out to not only Talk To Me, but my Drag the Waters The Pantera podcast, Aftershocks, The Classic Metal Show, and Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast. This week on the show, we have Mike D. from Killswitch Engage on to talk about As Daylight Dies, the reissue, the double gatefold vinyl reissue of one of the greatest metalcore albums of all time. As daylight dies, we dive into some of the tracks, some of the tours, we pop up the videos. So if you are watching the video, you're going to get some treats. And if you're listening to it on podcast, make sure to head over to CMSPN.com to check out the video portion of this interview. So once again, guys, thanks for checking out the show each and every week. Make sure to tell your friends that you are listening to the Talk To Me podcast. And without any more of my ramblings, let's get on to my talk with Mike D from Killswitch Engage. All right, guys, we have Mike D of Killswitch Engage on to talk about the great album As Daylight Dies, originally out November 13th, 2006, just being re-released on uh, double gatefold vinyl, and it looks awesome. So Mike D, how you doing, man?
2: Very good. Thanks for having me.
1: Very cool, man. Yeah, I was—I uh, got the idea to to reach out to Amy because of the the unboxing you did the other day. The album looks great, and uh, my favorite part of it is just your graphic designer eye. Every step of the way, you're like, "All right, colors look good." You know, everything's sharp. You know, it's great, man. I love it.
2: Well, it was my legit first time looking at it, and I was hoping I wasn't going to throw it across the room because uh, <laughs> not everything turns out exactly the way you want it to. Color wise, um, there's always some sort of press gain and things get, usually get darker, not lighter. Um, so I try to compensate with uh, anything that I produce. And you just never know where you're gonna get unless you're standing in front of a press watching it actually print. Uh, so I was pleasantly happy. Uh, everything seemed to be exactly what I was hoping for. Uh, just recalibrated my monitors. So I was hoping that that uh, put the good luck kibosh on the thing and it did.
1: Did you have to send over the artwork? Was that all from you that you still had, or was that kind of in a Roadrunner archive deal?
2: I keep everything—everything I've ever done since uh, I started the Dark Icon Design in 1992, and I have uh, folder upon folder of all the archives, everything I've done since then. Uh, So I had all the backups. Not all the backups work, (laughs) (laughs) which is a a concern sometimes. But I was able to go through everything and, and get as much. As I possibly could to rip out and uh, restart fresh, which is uh, actually really fun to take something apart that you did a while ago and try to make it better or uh, at least lighten it up and make it more fit for uh, nowadays production. Um, you know, <clears throat>
1: were the were the old files like in a you know in a format you guys still use, or did you have to update that type stuff?
2: Yeah, I, I believe it was in Quark, which is a kind of a dead um, <laughs> computer program at this point. So I had to change everything to uh, an Adobe program, but everything seems to transfer pretty well. And I was able to, I mean, the main thing that I do is I, I open Photoshop and really rip things apart layer by layer and clean things up and then put them all back together. And hopefully when you land back together, it looks better than it did before.
1: Now, kind of going back to the time of the album, you know, obviously you guys are coming off the big, the big album there, and you know, kind of, you know, the first, the first album with Howard coming back out and and really trying to follow it up, and I think you guys killed it at the time. You know, was there a lot of pressure on you guys at the time to kind of, uh, you know, come back with a with another, uh, you know, landmark album at the time?
2: Well, you know, uh, the first one with Howard was was End of Heartache, and there was such critical acclaim with that record that once we put out As Daylight Dies, um, I felt like people were still talking about End of Heartache. Every interview I ever did was comparing to End of Heartache, this, that, and the other thing, so I thought that people didn't like As Daylight Dies at all. I kept trying to say, no, no, man, it's good, it's good, don't (laughs) worry about it, we got got a cover on there, you'll like it. and it ended up being the best seller of the bunch, which is really cool. So,
1: Yeah, I think the stat I just saw was I know it's gold, but, it, you know, maybe this pushes it over to platinum or, or platinum will come soon uh, when, when all this is said and done.
2: We have been talking platinum for the last year and we've been trying to figure out the exact number. <laughs> Apparently, it's very hard to figure out.
1: <laughs> yeah, with streaming yeah. and YouTube and everything yeah, else.
2: Well, now, I, I thought we were either close or over it by now, but uh, hopefully, yeah, this vinyl thing will will help push it. But thanks to all the fans for making that a a thing. I never thought any band I would ever be in would be have any gold plaques, let alone a platinum, which is a huge, huge, huge thing. So thank you. Pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, what was crazy, and even until even until just doing this interview, I always assumed in my brain that End of Heartache was my favorite Killswitch album. But then when I went back and listened to this, I was like, "No, this is the album that I always, you know, go back to the most." You know, so I think that I think that you know, at the time, you you might have been fighting for it, but I think with time, uh, the album, you know, took its took its place, in at least my brain of uh, the best Kill Switch album to the to the time.
2: Well, thank you. Um. Well, w- see. Okay, so going back to "End um, of Heartache," it was a record that we were so cashed out with doing as. Um, with doing the record before it whatever it was called (laughs) (laughs) um a library just breathing yeah yeah we put so much effort into that record that by the time it came around to record and a heartache uh no one really felt like writing but adam's like hey listen i have 12 songs here (laughs) i (laughs) have 15 songs here i have uh 20 songs here like Adam, stop writing so someone else can write. God damn it. Um, <laughs> but that actually turned out to be more of an Adam record. So when it came to doing um, As Daylight Dies, everyone kind of jumped back into, we need to write more. You <laughs> can't just have Adam writing all these records. So I think that one was like a return to everyone all hands on deck writing and, and contributing as much as there's, you know, we usually do in a record.
1: Now, what were some of the tours going on around the time? Um, do you remember you know, uh, touring this record, what you guys were doing at the time?
2: Gosh, that was um, As Daylight Dies was a lo- the longest we've ever toured. I remember being two and a half years into touring on that record cycle, thinking I, I can't take anymore, I might die. And then all of a sudden, Holy Diver, um, hitting it big on the radio, and then telling us, OK, guess what? We're going to do another half year uh, of touring. And I was kind of over it. I told him to find a replacement. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't deal. But we, we ended up doing it. And we're just so lucky to have had a run like that for a record like that. So I think we we pushed it to its, its full potential. We, did, we definitely did as much as we possibly could with that. As far as touring, though, gosh. I can't remember back then. I probably should have brushed up on my notes as far as touring <laughs> from then
1: uh, that's the, the that's like one of the hardest I things
2: did. to look for.
1: That's one of the hardest yeah. things to google can't is two thousand six gil- uh, kill switch tour, you know.
2: I mean, I want to say we did an OzFest 2005. No, I guess we didn't. Hmm. I'm trying to remember dates. Dates are hard. Right.
1: Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that entire that that entire time period kind of runs together. Um That was not the... Was that around the time of the Killswitch used tour, or would that have been on End of Heartache? My Chemical Romance stuff.
2: Right. Um, I guess that probably makes a lot of sense. We did um, this thing called Taste of Chaos, which was the Vans Warped Tour worldwide, uh, which lasted quite a few tours. I think they did some pretty good business with it. Um, We had started it in the U.S. with Used and My Chemical Romance, which... uh, they were just starting to hit it big. And by the end of that tour, it was like night and day. I can't believe they're not headlining this <laughs> the show. was like the most amazing transformation I've ever seen in a band, starting from the first date to the last date. Uh, that was really cool to see, really nice guys. So it was great. Um, yeah, then we did a, a Australia for the first time on that tour. And we did a bunch of Japan dates and worldwide. It was it was a really fun thing to do, really really cool. And um, you know, Kevin Lyman, who ran Van's Warped Tour, really liked to keep it very close knit and kind of like a home home feel. So everyone felt like uh, we were all putting on a show, not just uh, you know playing your set type of thing. So it was fun to put on a whole big show like that
1: now through this time you know are you able to do your your graphic design stuff on the road at this time i mean 2006 you know the internet and laptops and things like that are all kind of coming together but it's not as 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 well as it is now so i mean were you doing stuff on the road back then too
2: always yeah it's been the one thing i've been able to do uh, as long as i have an internet connection maybe not way back in 2002 it was probably a little hard hard to find but um yeah i've always done it i've always loved doing it and uh Whenever I have a moment of time on the road, I like to crack open the laptop and dive into something, whether it be just starting something completely new or working on some client stuff. Uh, it's the best way to get out of the reality and back into my head, <laughs> just thinking of artwork and stuff like that, not not thinking of, oh, I'm, I'm not home, I'm on a tour bus somewhere.
1: I think you got a right answer there. The, you know, back in the early 2000s, you know, in my limited touring through that period of time, you know, the one thing that I remember kind of the, you know, going into a hotel room and the first thing you do is you rip in the, you know, the phone cord out of the phone and, you know, hooking it up to the computer, hoping you can find, you know, an AOL nearby or something like that. So, you know, and now, you know, everything's Wi-Fi and, you know, they're handing out passwords at at, you know, the hotels and things like that.
2: Yeah, it was a lot of purchasing passwords, that's for sure. I remember <laughs> <laughs> you have to put a down payment of $20, and if you go over a limit of five megabytes, you're in trouble type of thing. Uh, um, yeah, this is before there was little uh, modems for your laptop and stuff like that. So it was, it was definitely difficult. But, you know, it was a, a time of just working on my computer and then waiting for the right time to be able to upload. So just a lot of uh, memory cards and and (laughs) drives and stuff like that.
1: Are you one that likes to tour? Do you enjoy the the road, you know, the road life? To a point.
2: (laughs) 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 Those first few, like five or six tours are usually really, really fun. And then it starts to become a job after a while. But just so lucky to be able to do something like that, um, I think especially now with uh, the climate and the COVID that's been going on right now, um, it makes you appreciate those times and, and uh, makes you think back to how whiny you could have been. <laughs> thinking your life was so terrible being on the road and having fun and doing what you love. Uh, I, I uh, have a new perspective on that and I cannot wait to get back out and do it again.
1: Well, I mean, you guys were one of the bands that kind of started a tour and then, what, two, three days into it, I mean, they sent you home. So it's like, you know, you were guns a-blazing for the the Atonement record and then stops, you know, and you guys were probably hit one of the hardest.
2: That's the saddest part. Yeah, we were ready. We had all the merch printed up. (laughs) We were three days in in Michigan. Uh, We played our last show. I remember doing an interview on the couch in the bus right before the show saying, ah, we're not going home until they make us go home. And, like, and the <laughs> next day, they're like, go Made. home. <laughs> yeah, government is like, go home. So uh, we literally did it till the wheels fell, fell off. Uh, I just felt really bad for the crew. We did as much as we possibly could with getting them any sort of monies that they could possibly get from the government, any sort of stipends or any of that stuff. Um, it's really them that suffer more than anybody else. Right. And... uh can't wait to get back on the road and see those dudes again. We've been doing lots of Zoom calls, uh, band and crew, and saying hi, and lots of drinks and lots of smokes. And uh, it's good to see those guys again.
1: I mean, and obviously, you know, this kind of goes back into your into your graphic design stuff. But I mean, of of <laughs> most people, most people in bands, you know, you have kind of that second career that you can focus on in these times. And of all careers, to have, you know, to be able to work from home. Work on the laptop, work online. I mean that you you are probably one of the luckier ones of uh, in the music industry.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, fortunately, yes, Uh, things haven't super changed for me. Um, I still go from my kitchen to my (laughs) upstairs to my office and work every single day. It's just the boredom and monotony of. Groundhog Day, the day we just had a couple of days ago, over and over and over and over again without being able to get out of the house as much as I usually do or be able to get back out on the road and see my friends. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, this uh, I've been working like this f- since, I'd say hardcore since like 2004, using the internet as my home. So uh, this really isn't a game changer for me. And uh, now a lot of people are kind of doing what I've been doing and liking it as I've liked it.
1: <laughs> um, I, I keep getting drawn to something in your room there. Is that a Devastator? Is that the, the Constructicons coming together back there?
2: It sure is. It's a big <laughs> one. They released a gigantic one. I think it's about 25 inches tall or something like that. Um, Hasbro has been killing it. I don't know if you're a toy fan or not, but Hasbro has been killing it. They do Hasbro Lab, and they do all sorts of special, gigantic toys that you never thought you'd see ever. And uh, I've been loving it.
1: I just turned, uh, I'm in my early 40s, and I still, to this day, do not trust giant green construction vehicles. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm on to you. I know what's going on over here. (laughs) Uh, let's let's use the uh, the power of the technology here and uh, pull up some of these videos from the era. Um, and and I'm going to pull up Holy, Holy Diver and My Curse and just kind of tell me what you remember uh, from these videos from the time. Boom, boom, click. Look at that. <laughs> but uh, you know, just kind of going over the videos and doing you know all of the. Uh, I know you do the graphic design stuff, but do you do the video work too and have any input in this side of the band not
2: particularly um it's just not my field of knowledge so i try to let the people who know what they're doing you know do do what they do best and uh i just don't have the vision for it it's it's fun and stuff but uh, i like just flat media. media this is a really fun one i remember we just we played one day in a studio in boston uh, to a white screen and then they just put the entire thing together very very, very easy video to make.
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's pretty nuts man i mean and obviously the special effects for the time uh, you know definitely, definitely a definitely cool video and it still holds up to this day
2: oh cool yeah it's different for sure
1: <laughs> yeah and this is you know obviously my curse is still you know a staple of the kill switch engage set
2: it's one of those tunes that did really, really well on the radio, and uh, I don't think we ne- we can ever not play it live. It's just one of those songs.
1: Let's see here, let's pull up "Holy Diver," and then, um, you know, the one thing with "Holy Diver," obviously, you said it kind of kept you on the road. Um, was that a was that a song that? Well, I guess, I mean, I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times, so it's kind of redundant to go over. But, I mean, what brought that to the album? And then, you know, what made you guys want to want to do the, uh, the video for it?
2: Uh, Kerrang! Magazine had a compilation, uh, and they were hiring bands to record old metal tracks to be on this compilation. And uh, they asked, you know, newer metal bands to do covers of old metal band songs and it sounded like a really cool thing. Uh, One of the songs that we gravitated towards was Holy Diver, uh, Was no, sorry, was Dio's uh, We Rock was the song, but we thought we could do Holy Diver more justice. Um, So we asked if we could do that one and they said, sure enough, that's a good idea. Now we recorded this before we recorded uh, As Daylight Dies and we also recorded uh, a WWE song called This Fire at the same time. So it was just two tracks. We went in the studio real quick to do them. And then kind of they fell by the wayside. The WWE track did what it did, which is really cool. And then Holy Diver, we just didn't want to be known as a cover band. So we kind of pushed it into the background as much as possible. We didn't put it on the original regular record. We only put it on the special edition. Um, And we, we tried to not play it up because we just didn't want to be known. There was a bunch of bands out there known as like cover metal bands. And it just didn't seem like the the avenue we wanted to take. We could play a cover song. We really enjoyed playing this song. Um, but as far as maybe doing more, I doubt we will. It would really take something totally out of the ordinary to, to have us do that. But um, she had a really good time playing this one then forgot about it. Roadrunner kept pushing it and pushing it, pushing it. And then they finally released like I said, the special edition, and that kind of brought this song to the mainstream, onto the radio, and then another half a year of touring. <laughs> now this part right here, that yeah. part right there with the, the horses was the only part I didn't want to do in the video. i said, there's no fucking way I'm getting on a horse because they <laughs> have minds of their own. So they had this woman <laughs> with long hair do my, be my stunt double on all the horse scenes. Um, it was yeah. also a matter of staying an extra day to shoot, shoot more. And I just wanted to go home. Uh, I was in this last shot right here with the book was at 2 a.m. the following day of recording. So I was beat. I was ready to get out of there making all sorts of silly faces just to get the shot done. And they ended up being the funnier parts. I think of, of the video. <laughs> you're but, kind of the star
1: uh, of the video, man. What's that? You're kind of the star of this, you know?
2: Yeah, you know, you do what you can. Um, it. We started filming at 6 a.m. one day and then ended at 2.30 a.m. the next day. So the last thing I wanted to do was jump on a horse the day after and try to fight with this thing that has a mind of its own.
1: Now, is this so, downstage or is this an actual castle somewhere?
2: This is a castle that someone was building for, like uh, – <clears throat> like the fairs and weddings and uh i believe it was by vineyards so there was also like a wine mixed into it it was still being built at the time so it wasn't completely finished but they had the whole courtyard they had all sorts of rooms and it was like 112 that day it was so hot wearing all that the suit of armor is actually plastic, so it was. And then underneath it was a sw- was sweatpants, so it was it was like uh, probably another twenty degrees hotter in that outfit. But uh, super super fun to do, and I, hopefully hopefully the audience sees how much fun we had doing it.
1: <laughs> and you got the fair maiden, so there you go. <laughs> I
2: mean, that was the first idea. Adam was like, "Okay, I'm going to be the woman. Mike D is going to be the the hero because he's the smallest guy in the bunch." <laughs> and the least hero-like, right? they like, and obviously Jones needs to be the blacksmith. Other than that, we kind of filled in where it went.
1: It's too much fun, man. Uh, you, you know, just kind of looking back at that time. You know the the music landscape at the time. I mean, I, I think I told you this last time you were on the show, but just just what you guys did and that whole you know the the, the you know the New England metal scene did to the entire music landscape. Uh, changed everything man it was it was like night and day like one day friends of mine were like check out this band on earth and kill switch engage and just all that stuff from up there and we were like oh we can play guitar solos again <laughs> you know like Dang. you know we'd been doing new metal for so long so it's pretty nuts man what you guys were able to accomplish
2: at one point, it seemed like Massachusetts was like the new metal Seattle. Things were just happening. Bands were starting other bands, and they were working. And it was just – there was so much Massachusetts scene happening before then that didn't work, that that didn't make it to the mainstream. That was just as good, if not better. Bands like Only Living Witness and Arise and uh, – Cast Iron Hike. There's were so many bands that come came and went in Boston that didn't get their just due, that the newer bands were paying tribute to that caught on. So, uh, yeah, in the mid two thousands, it was like anything was catching fire in Massachusetts. It, it was like uh, it, was, it was a godsend. It was really really cool to see all my friends finally. Make a paycheck, <laughs> yeah, rather than uh, playing for nothing, you know, in bars and stuff like that. So it was just cool to see, it. and then it, and then it was gone. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what happened, but
1: there's still a few of those bands still still kicking, still alive and kicking. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it's cool to see those guys still coming around. And you know, like seems like the Unearth guys have have uh, you know found a new light on the internet and things like that. You know, Buzz and and all that he does, and and just. It it was just awesome at the time to just kind of hear, you know, because we uh, all of us grew up on, you know, Metallica and Megadeth. And then we all get we all start listening to Corn and Lip Biscuit and Deftones. And so we start playing that type stuff. And then all of a sudden here comes, you know, like the metal back. And it was it was just so much fun.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, there was definitely um, a lull in heavy music uh, in the mainstream at that point. So, I think we just snuck in right at the right time. I, I believe it was Breed that kind of put their foot in the door. they got on the Triple X soundtrack and <laughs> showed the world that that style of music was viable. And I think us in Shadows Fall just kind of snuck in, you know, with the door being open a crack, and kind of blew it open from there.
1: yeah, there was Haybreed could have been that band that just put out satisfaction. And it would have been a landmark album. They could have went away and did you know and do what a lot of the hardcore bands do now. They come out of you know retirement every five, ten years to do one or two shows here and there. but uh, but the fact that Jamie and those guys were able to turn it into basically a gigantic you know machine that is hey breed now it's pretty pretty uh pretty impressive.
2: Jamie's a worker. <laughs> he loves to work. he's constantly on the road whether it's doing josta or Hatebreed or any of that stuff and I've known him for a long time. He's to book my old band Overcast nice. way, way back in the day uh, in Connecticut, and he was the only guy making that scene happen. Um, so he's been he's been a staple for a long, long time. And uh, all credit to Jamie for all that he's done. Even his uh, podcast is pretty amazing stuff. So it, he uh, he's doing the right the right thing for sure.
1: Uh, as we kind of wind down here, I did want to talk about one more thing was uh, was Guitar Hero at the time with Mike Curse. And and I remember going to shows around that time and other bands that were in Guitar Hero at the time when their Guitar Hero song came on. You could see the guys that played Guitar Hero because they would air Guitar Hero the track and they would play like, the button, you know, and it was so much fun to see. And uh, did you see that from your angle uh, playing playing live ever?
2: no. I don't know that I would know what they were doing if they were trying to figure out how to do the horns, maybe.
1: Well, they were doing; they would do like a like a because you know the three or four buttons on the controller are
2: That was the funniest part about that game is that it just it was s- s- easy to play on base and extremely hard to play on <laughs> digital computer, uh, and completely different and not not anything like you'd expect because it's more drum based really it's more i don't know hitting in the tempo rather yeah. than on the right chord so it's a, it's a totally different thing but that was a shocker we were so ecstatic to get us any song on one of those guitar heroes because that was such a big deal for the longest time uh some super fun weird weird to play your own song though I, <laughs> I was terrible at it
1: and see you know see the the graphics up there of you know uh, Kurt Cobain or whoever they would have, you know, playing a kill-switching beauty song. Funny. Yeah, then the, uh, actually, I think that was one tour I did find was I think you guys toured with Dragon Force around that time, and I think Dragon Force was a a huge benefactor of the Guitar Hero era.
2: Sure, I mean, they're a guitar-driven band, for sure. All sorts of fun stuff, jumping around, throwing the guitars all over the place, trampolines, all that fun stuff. That was one of the tours that we did on that, that as daylight Die run it was a no fear to sponsored tour <laughs> that was a really fun one that was one of our first headliner tours i remember and uh we were just excited to be a headliner for the first time <laughs> nice a big, big step for us
1: yeah that was definitely huge times i i uh, i saw i saw kill switch i believe i saw you guys headline around 2004 to a couple smaller venues like rocket town in nashville and uh, headliners in Louisville and things like that. So it was, it was fun times, man.
2: I love Rocket Town. That place is
1: awesome. Super fun. Yeah, funny. it was a cool venue, man. Yeah, and, um, you know, as we kind of wrap it up, let's go with, uh, you know, what uh, what's the future hold right now? I mean, what are you guys doing? I mean, I see that, you know, Louder Than Life and a few festivals are being popped up for later this year. So, I mean, are you guys uh, encouraged that touring might come back?
2: We have so much, so many touring opportunities that we can't take advantage of. So it's just a matter of when we're going to be able to get back on the road. Uh, When we do, it's all guns blazing. Let's go, let's do this thing again. Who knows what it's going to look like. Uh, But as of now, all we're doing is kind of looking forward and and excited for the future to get back on the road. Um, Never know if we're going to do a live show on the internet or not. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. There's definitely talks of something like that. Um, no real new music, per se, yet. Um, but we'll get bored sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> so in the saddle again. Um, but yeah, Killswitch has kind of been on hiatus since last March. Unfortunately, is except for dropping uh, the Atonement two rarities. CD that we did for charity. That was re- felt really good to be able to give back uh, with songs that we kind of didn't know what to do with. Uh, so we just released that real quick, gave some money to charity. Hopefully, we hope- helped out some people. Um, but right now, we're just bare knuckle and ready to get back on the road. Really,
1: yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about the the festival scene. I think that so many bands are potentially about to pile on these shows that. Some bands that might typically play at, you know, at sundown are going to be playing at noon because you know, there's just so many that need uh that need to get out and tour.
2: It might be an influx of too many bands, but hopefully people appreciate the fact that they can go see these bands again. And I know, <clears throat> for one, I would scoff at driving an hour to go to a show. Right. Um, hopefully, people will will reconsider something like that and uh, just be thankful that there are bands out there doing it again. We'll see.
1: Yeah. Last show I saw was Mr. Bungle in San Francisco and we flew out there uh, last year. I did not realize that that was going to be it. <laughs>
2: mm. What month was that? February. 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 Yeah. Everything yeah. Was, was smooth sailing in February, really. We were just It was like it.
1: everybody was kind of like talking about this thing that might be happening. And even a couple of people on the plane out there had masks on. Uh, so it wasn't, but it still wasn't like a thing thing yet. And then uh, basically we get home, and it's well. Hope you had fun. <laughs> You're gonna be home for a while.
2: Well, they were they were already prepping us that we may or may not go home on the tour uh, when we first started it. And it was it was such a big tour that it was uh, it was going to put us in the hole. <laughs> so oh, wow. we weren't sure whether we should do it or not, but we really just wanted to get out there and work the record. So. It was a big disappointment that it didn't work out. But Here's to next year, maybe. Yeah, hopefully,
1: something something's gonna happen. <laughs> something's gonna happen someday. But yeah, man, it's uh, and it's it's once again, man, it's just a, it's just a killer that it was such on a, such a good album, Atonement. You know, start to finish is so good that uh, I wish he could have got out and promoted it properly.
2: As do we. Yeah. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Maybe we can figure something out.
1: All right. Well, Mike D man, thanks for taking some time today. I know I know you've been you're super busy up there, you know, hanging out in uh in COVID times.
2: <laughs> graphic design. Yeah, lots of graphic design. But uh thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Hopefully people picked up the uh As Daylight Dies vinyl re-release. Um was it available once before? I think it was available in limited quantities a long time ago, but this is the first real shot that the US has to buy it. So uh
1: yeah, looks like, looks like the uh, the pre-order is sold out, but I think you can find it at your local record store coming soon.
2: That's it. Yeah, it'll be at the record stores.
1: There you go. Hopefully, though and maybe this will keep some of those doors open.
2: <laughs> I hope so. I can't even believe that vinyls come back, to tell you the truth. but uh, I
1: know. For cool. being a graphic designer, I'm pretty sure you're pumped about that.
2: It's the best. I love doing things in a huge format. As you can see with all the big robots and all the big skateboards that I have in the back. Here I love doing big format stuff and giant color swatches and, and and stuff like that. So uh, I've been doing a lot of vinyl, tons of vinyl, more vinyl now this year than I've done in almost my entire life.
1: Wow! So if somebody wants to reach out and uh, have you do some stuff for them, how do they how do they get in touch with you?
2: Dark Icon Design at Gmail would be my. Uh, dress or dark icon design um, slash art on Instagram.
1: There we go. Well, I D. man. Thanks for taking the time today.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. Have fun. Right,
1: and once again, thank you to Mike D of kill switch engage for coming on the show. Always honored to talk to anyone in kill switch engage, have them come on and go down memory lane and talk about the as daylight dies reissue, the double gate fold vinyl reissue. So make sure you guys are getting that once it is out. And a huge thank you to you guys for checking out the show. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that great stuff. And for the Talk To Me podcast, I've been Joshua Toomey, and I will talk to you soon. Hey, everybody.
0: It is Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show and the Aftershocks podcast. And before we show you this next video, just wanted to remind you that you can add the CMSPN to your roku that's right if you have a roku or a roku tv just click the link below it's in the scroll it's also in the description of this video and make sure you're logged into your roku account on your computer and it will add it right to your roku it'll add it then you just refresh your device and bang there it is that way you can watch all of our episodes whether it's us or skull sessions or talk to me or aftershocks or a classic metal show. I'll be on your TV. It's a deal, right? And it's free, free. All right. Make sure you do that. And now here's the video you actually came to see.